Welcome to All Villa, No Filler, a new podcast all about the world's best football team, Aston Villa. George, Roisin and I have explained why we loved the Villa, but as Birmingham natives, there was always only going to be one club for us. But what if you live thousands of miles away from the hallowed turf of Villa Park? In the second of our special Villains Abroad series, we spoke to Luis Miguel Echegaray, who is from Peru but now lives in New York. He works for the broadcaster CBS Sports and hosts the popular Kegolasso podcast. Roisin and I found out what made a boy from Peru support the villa. Hi Luis, um, it's great to have you on. Uh, how are things going in New York at the moment? Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm good. Everything is good. Uh, obviously, going through you know some tough times, everybody uh, in the globe. But New York is resilient. New York is strong, just like Villa, and we're just uh, you know fighting day in and day out uh, to stay healthy, uh, socially distance, and you know obviously do everything that we can to to get out of this. But you know, all things considered, I- I'm good, and my family's good. The reason we asked you on today is because earlier this week we read um, an article you did for CBS called Becoming an Aston Villa Fan. Um, It was an excellent read uh, and I strongly recommend any Villa fan to look at it. Uh, We'll share the links online after this. Um, So Luis, uh, you're originally from Peru and you moved to the UK when you were very young. Um, Would you mind explaining to our listeners how a kid from Peru ended up supporting the mighty Aston Villa? I know, right? I feel like I should sell uh, this to Hollywood. It could be really good. (laughs) Uh, no, uh, first of all, I really appreciate uh, you promoting the piece, uh, a very personal piece, whoever gets to read it. And actually, I've been wanting to write it for a while, uh, but I didn't have the time. Or uh, So I thought around this time, as we're all dealing with our own struggles, but also continue to root for the Villa, and they continue to do so well uh, as well, I thought it'd be a good time to just do a little personal essay. Uh, but yeah, as you mentioned, uh, my family's Peruvian, I'm Peruvian, and I moved to England uh, in the early 90s, uh, when I was 11, 12 years old. And it was during a time when Peru was going through economical and uh, political turmoil. So moving to England uh, was a decision by my family. And I moved to England. I moved to the south of London, uh, the outskirts of London, West Sussex, and then essentially, eventually Surrey. And, you know, I, I grew up, uh, you know, first few years in Peru, in, in England, sorry, I was very, you know, I was culture shocked. It was, it was very difficult for me. I wanted to acclimate myself to the culture of England, but obviously, as you may know, uh, you know, moving to another country, immigrating to another country, especially such a different contrast, just like Paddington Bear did from Peru to England, <laughs> it was very, it was tough. Did it you was bring very marmalade difficult. sandwiches, Louise? That's the only question I got every single day. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, ironically enough, or not ironically enough, I love my marmalade sandwiches. So I guess uh, yeah, me and Paddington have something in common. But um, so, yeah, so it was it was it was difficult at first um, to just try and get myself. I spoke English, but obviously not well enough to understand the jargon or the slang or whatever. And obviously I lived in uh, the south of England where everybody, you know, was a Manchester United fan or a Chelsea fan or a Tottenham fan, Arsenal fan. And the only way for me to connect was to uh, follow the Premier League. And I love football, obviously, but I didn't have a team and I didn't have an identity. I didn't have anything really at that time. And that's when I met this kid, Mark, who became my best friend. And he saw me play football one time, or, you know, a break time in school. And he said, right, you know how in school you join teams and you make up teams or you do two on two or whatever. He picked me and he said, right, you're with me and we're Villa because he was a massive Aston Villa fan. And I said, Villa, what the hell is that? And um, after school, he took me to his house 
I opened the doors to his room and there was this temple of Aston Villa, Paul McGrath. Oh, that's the dream. Alien Atkinson and, you know, Dean Song, <laughs> all these players just all over his wall. I saw the claret and blue everywhere. And that's when I knew I was home. And that, that's how I picked Aston Villa. And ever since then, Villa has become my side. But the, the piece, and I'm sorry to go on about it, but the piece really is also a testament to just my own childhood and really how Villa became, you know, as I self-reflect, became my proverbial blanket and helped me through so many things, just like acclimating myself to England. And my mother passed away years after that. Uh, Villa became my savior there. My father passed away in my, when I was in my early 20s. Villa once again rescued me. So Villa was always there subconsciously without them even knowing. And when I look back and think about what I am now and who I, and what I do, and I think about my love for Villa, it's really more than just football. It's more than just the goals or the games or whatever. It's about the fact that I have this connection with this beautiful club. Yeah, and it sounds like a connection with people as well. It connected you to Mark, um, allowing you to kind of build friendships. And when you lost others in your life, um, perhaps it was the kind of people connection um, within the villa that that really helped there as well. Absolutely, 100%. It was, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, when we think about being a football fan, we just think about the sport itself sometimes, but we forget that actually it's way deeper than that. And, you know, and it's easy to forget nowadays with the fast digital age and, you know, getting goal highlights on Twitter or whatever, you know, it's very easy to forget. Our memories can be very quickly turned. And we forget that actually football is about people. It's about communities. I mean, you guys are talking right now across the pond and, you know, but we're all talking about one thing and that's our love for a football club. And it's more than Villa. It's, it's just about how families grow without ever really meeting each other. It's very interesting what you said there um, about moving over because my granddad came over from Ireland and in the 1940s and uh, he um, said that one of the best ways to assimilate or to um, get to know people was through Aston Villa. It gave him a sense of belonging. Is that a feeling you also shared moving over? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's funny because when you're older, you know, the things that you remember are, are usually the things that you didn't think you would remember. And, and that's everything that I remember, uh, how football and and not just like the game itself or even Villa, but just playing with your friends or whatever. It was just a way for you to connect. Without it, I really think I would have struggled even more, especially yeah. when my mom passed away. It was very difficult. I, I, I mean, I say it in the piece that on the day of her funeral, like, I was in boarding school at the time. I already said goodbye to Mark. And um, at the day of the funeral, I just wanted to go back to school because I wanted to go to my room and be surrounded by my posters and stuff uh, of Villa. And I wanted to play where in the Villa. It was, you know, I didn't think about it at the time. But when I was writing, I was like, oh my God, like that's the first thing I wanted to do. Not because I wanted to remove myself from something that was obviously overwhelming, but because I wanted to find comfort in something that I knew was never going to let me down. Uh, and that was my love for the club. And it, and that's exactly what you said uh, about your own family experiences. And, you know, it's it's when you move somewhere, this is what most people don't understand when they're, they're not immigrants or whatever. And how could they? You have to really understand what it's like. You need to find and grasp things that help you connect to the place of where you are now. Yeah. And I think it becomes ingrained in, in, in your family then, doesn't it? Um, and, and like, you know, whatever you then take on, um, that kind of, I suppose you take that, that fandom with you and, and you build and you grow with it. Yeah, 100%. 100% agree. Now, something I'm into, I've noticed, particularly in the last couple of years, um, is that my connection to Aston Villa has 
grown somewhat, even more during the pandemic, I've found. Um, and I think partly because it's it's something that's sort of a continuation. It's something to, I don't know, that can inspire you during this very down time of the last year. Have you found that as well? Do you think your support for Villa has, has grown even more during the last year or so? 100%. I think that nostalgia is a very, very powerful weapon that we don't always think about when it comes to emotions and things. And I think that especially now, because we're socially distanced and stadiums are closed and not open to the general public and Villa Park, which is such a quintessential English ground, you know, the atmosphere, everything that goes with it. When that kind of is taken away from you, you know, you you, you can't help but try and grasp with the things that help you connect right now. And so it's only natural for you to feel more connected to the club now because you're not there. It's almost like the, you know, it, it's, it's pretty much like anything. Like, you know, when you are uh, separated from a loved one uh, in a long distance relationship or whatever, it's exactly the same thing. But the, the thing about this particular moment is that we remember what it feels like to be in a packed stadium uh, with people that are following the same love that you have. And when that's taken away from you, especially now when you're dealing with so many things, it becomes that much more potent. You know, I think you're so right about nostalgia. I was just kind of thinking about me and I've mentioned, you know, my sister and my cousins and, and my family, uh, you know, in this podcast before. We, you know, we're all related. We've got plenty of, of things to kind of connect over. But our little group message in WhatsApp is is an Up the Villa group. Um, and in it, we talk about, uh, you know, my cousin's bedroom, which was claret carpet and, and Aston Villa curtains, um, you know, bedspread, pillowcase, you know, wallpaper. Um, and we kind of... We, we reminisce over these things from, you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, even though, that you know, there's so much more. Like I say, we're related and we've got so many more memories. But that sense of nostalgia, you're absolutely right, is such a powerful thing. Yep, 100%. I mean, it, I think it's why we're all football fans, to be honest with you. Yeah, we love the game, obviously, from an aesthetic perspective, and we love the goals and everything. But really, it all comes down to that. And uh, you mentioned Villa Park as well. Um, can you can you remember your first visit to Villa Park and that experience as a, as a child of going there? Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's first of all, um, if I think correctly, yes. I mean, it was the first stadium in England that I went to visit, right? Obviously. Mm. Uh, so, and it was shortly after meeting Mark, of course, it's just, you know, first of all, that walk that you take to Villa Park, like, you know, it, it, the thing is like, you know, you gotta, people also have to understand, like I grew up in Peru in the early nineties and eighties and where, it, you know, especially towards the last years before I left, like you couldn't walk out on the street by yourself. Like, are you kidding? That's insane. Uh, and, and the fact that I could do that in England was really shocking to me in a good way. And then, you know, years later, after I finally managed to um, go see Villa Park, like that walk to the to Villa Park is, you know, where everybody's just in unison, just walking together. It's just it was amazing to yeah, me. Yeah, And the steps in front of you as well. Yeah. And it was actually the first time I was surrounded by so many people that love Villa. That's the thing. Like I was like, it was the first time where I was just like, oh my God. And then you enter the stadium and, uh, you know, of course I see my hero, Dwight York as well. Like, you know, in that, so that, that it was just, everything just connected. So it, it was an amazing moment. And I love the fact that there were no phones or anything. It's just, it's just stuck in my head. That's all it is. That's the only thing that I need. It sounds like we uh, started supporting Villa at a, at a very similar time. You, you mentioned Paul McGrath earlier and Dwight York. Um, he was my absolute 
hero in the the mid to late 90s and um, I think when he left for Manchester United um, as I got older and I experienced actual heartbreak in relationships I started to realize the first time I was ever heartbroken was when Dwight York (laughs) joined Manchester United my friend you are literally speaking my language is exactly what I say please don't tell my wife it's just exactly the first thing like when when Dwight York went to my I didn't speak to anybody for two weeks I couldn't deal with it I just, I, I, how this, how this man from Trinidad and Tobago affected me so much. Uh, but uh, absolutely, everything that you say is exactly what I went through. Well, my mom had to take me to McDonald's to get over it. Like, it. <laughs> taking a happy meal too literally there. <laughs> now, Aston Villa themselves have actually had a Peruvian footballer um, back in 2004, the, the very famous Nobby Solano. Um, how did it feel to see a fellow Peruvian actually playing for Villa, albeit for quite a short period of time? No, I mean, amazing. I mean, the other love of my life is Peru as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Back when I was working with Sports Illustrated uh, and Peru made it to the World Cup to Russia for the first time uh, in more than 30 years, um, I wrote a little piece about what it meant to Peruvians because it's just as much. It's It's, it's amazing. And Alberto Solano, although he's not, you know, regarded as the most prolific Peruvian player, he's definitely up there. Uh, don't get me wrong, but you, know, of course, Paulo Guerrero and Claudio Pizarro, etc. But Alberto Solano, obviously, up there. He is the first ever Peruvian to play in the Premier League. Obviously, Newcastle first, then Aston Villa. So when he joined Villa, I mean, you can only imagine how crazy happy I was in my whole family. I remember uh, he had to do um, an event in London one time and I begged my dad to take me there. Uh, actually, no, I didn't. I just told him to come. Um, and, and he came obviously and, and we met and everything. Uh, and it's just so impactful. It's just, that's another thing, you know, that sometimes gets lost a little bit. When a player of a certain country features for a specific club, a big club, it's so impactful on that entire nation. Some people really don't realize, especially a developing nation or one that's getting out of a, a third world crisis. It's so big. That's why, like, you know, the moment Ali Samata joined Villa, like, you know, the entire, right, the the entire country, that it just completely, it's the same with Macamba, you know, it's 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 Colombia with Juan Pablo Angel. Like, it's just, it's so impactful. So when he joined, it was, it was just as important. Obviously, his impact wasn't as big as when he was with Newcastle, but it was equally effective, uh, for me, at, at the very least. So I was very proud when that happened. Do you think it has the same impact on the city as well? I know you're talking about, you know, it's something huge for co- kind of the country, but do you think in terms of, you know, Brummies who who might not have ever, you know, come across anything beyond Paddington Bear, like you said, um, do you think that that kind of normalises the culture and, and opens those different cultures up to, to perhaps people in this city who, who wouldn't have come into contact with them otherwise? Absolutely. At 100%, 100%. It's exactly what happened with Newcastle. <laughs> and actually, you know what? It happens a lot here in MLS, in Major League Soccer in the US, where uh, these teams are so dependent on not just like uh, match day revenue, but also like the stars that represent them. And, you know, when Miguel Almiron left Atlanta United for Newcastle, you know, he had the same impact on the city. It's the same thing in the Premier League. I mean, Mohamed Salah and Liverpool, you could go on, right? It's it's just, it's it it, it, it helps the entire city understand a different perspective and empathize a little more with a different culture and a different idea. I mean, we all wish you wouldn't need a player, right? You should all really just understand the values of multiculturalism and what it means to think about something from a different point of view. But but it's still beautiful to celebrate all these cultures, especially when one of your players comes from that very country. 
In your article, you mentioned uh, how by the time Martin O'Neill and Gabby Bonlahor were playing for Aston Villa, you were based in the United States. Now, um, considering you were outside of the UK by then, how easy was it to follow Villa? Yeah, uh, at the very beginning, it wasn't that easy, Frankie. It was, um, you know, nowadays, it's great for uh, somebody that lives in the US to watch football, especially the Premier League and stuff, better than in the UK, actually. Like, there's so much more access. Absolutely. NBC, who holds it right here for the Premier League, you know, they have either games on their regular channel, right, that you can just watch on regular television, or, you know, you can watch it um, on, on, on their new streaming service. And the same with the Champions League and us and CBS. So football is very accessible. Granted, you mm-hmm. still have to pay a certain fee for certain games, but still, it's there. You know, whereas obviously the fees in England are a little bit uh, more expensive. Now, for me, when I first moved to the U.S. from England and I wanted to watch games, I remember having to, you know, obviously uh, weekend matches, right? In New York, if it's an early kickoff game, we're talking 7.30 in the morning, and there was no streaming, there was no channel there that that held the Premier League at that time, no uh, regular cable channel. So the, your best bet would have to go to Irish or English bars that were open at that time for you to watch the game because they had uh, they had the satellite and you could watch all of them. Um, so that's the way that I would do it. We would go to an Irish bar in the city in Manhattan or Brooklyn or Queens or whatever, and they would have the games and, and you could watch it. You would just have to obviously uh, watch it by buying something or whatever. And at 7.30 in the morning, that can be very tough. So it was usually a, a coffee or a cup of tea instead of like a pint. But <laughs> still, that was the best way. And then as years went on, uh, the availability of matches was much easier. You're listening to All Villa, No Filler, available on Spotify, Amazon Music and iTunes. When we look at the current Villa team, um, how does that make you feel? How, what, what do you think of the current team under Dean Smith? Obviously, I am so proud, right? It's like just so proud of of the club, um, you know, under the Sawiris and Eden's leadership. And now that Lang is our sporting director. And of course, Dean Smith, a lifelong Villa fan. His own father was a steward at Villa Park, right? Would walk Sir Doug, uh, Sir Doug Ellis to, to his seat. All these things just are so much more important now. And, and I'm so proud of, of what this team is and what they represent. It's, it's really a great joy to see it, not just because of the talent that we have, obviously Jack Grealish and, you know, uh, Emiliano Martinez, which I'm just so happy that we have and Maddie Cash and stuff, but also like our youth academy and things that are happening. So it, it's all great to see. Um, the reason why I said in different parts, it's because I want to be very, I'm very sort of, I'm very hopeful uh, about what we can do, obviously, and the expectations are high, but I also want to be, I also sort of uh, give out a warning to to Villa fans because I want us to be also realistic about the steps that we need to take in order to improve and not to overachieve. And what I mean by that is like, you know, we're talking about, you know, Villa at the Champions League and stuff. Obviously, that would be incredible. Everybody would be celebrating. But I wonder if that's a little too much to chew right now. And I wonder if uh, the expectations, obviously, at this moment, I think that top half of the table is something that we should be expecting. Europa League, fantastic. I just think that I want us to be careful that we don't get overwhelmed next season with the things that we have to achieve just because we did so well in this specific season. And and that to me is something very important. I'm very sort of careful about what we expect from this club because I, I like to see us take steps as opposed to gigantic strides that may overwhelm us. I don't know if 
and this is just an opinion. It's not something, it's not a science. It's just, I just think that there is something to be said about the sophomore slump, which is what Americans call here, right? Which is like in your first year, you do amazing. You, you know, obviously this isn't our first year, but you know, so to speak kind of is right. You do amazing, you do so well. And then that second year things overwhelm you. I mean, look at Sheffield United, for example, uh, Wolves right now dealing with their own issues and stuff after being so uh, so good in, in their opening time. So to me is I want us to succeed, but I want us to make sure that whatever we achieve is realistic enough for us to handle the following season. I think Dean Smith has, has done that, you know, quite well in my point of view in terms of when he took over what, you know, a little over two years ago, we were 13th in the championship. First, it was work to get to the playoffs then get through the playoffs. Then last season, obviously, you know, we didn't, you know, aim for the, you know, aim for whatever. Well, well, I mean, maybe we did aim for top of the table, but we didn't get there. Um, But Dean Smith seems to recognise that as well and take measures that he needs to at the right time. We were speaking to a, a French journalist who was saying that actually our new signing potential new signing is about getting depth in the squad and that's something that at the moment we do need and we've seen that with injuries over the last last few weeks um, and last couple of months and he seems very aware of of taking the right steps at the right time yeah 100 percent. if there's anybody that reflects what i just said and what you just said like it's dean smith he has never ever you know even when we've done amazing he's always been like step by step Last season, when we were all freaking out that maybe we're going to get relegated, he was like, everybody calm down. We'll, we got, you know, he's always been realistic about what we want. And to your point, and I believe you're talking about Jonathan Johnson, who's my friend and my colleague, by the way. So it's great to have him as well uh, from the last time. It's absolutely true. That kind of Samson uh, transfer, uh, uh, you know, acquisition is exactly what we're talking about, about developing, strengthening the squad. One of the things that really made me happy is that it wasn't so much about you know, developing and strengthening the first team. But look at our youth. Look at the look at what we're trying to do for the next few years. And and that was proven when, you know, we were one all at half time against the defending champions in the Premier League. Who, by the way, had a starting eleven? Who Jurgen Klopp was freaking out so much he needed to put Tiago Alcantara at half time. And that and that to me is success, regardless of the end result. The fact that our youth players and Louis Barry getting that goal. To me, that is exactly what Villa is all about. It's not about over expectations. It's about step by step, strengthening and strengthening. And one day we'll have all our eggs in order. And, and it's great to see. Now you're based in New York. And that um, we previously interviewed uh, the chairman of the Toronto Lions of Aston Villa fan group based in Toronto. Whilst based in New York, do you have any Aston Villa fan friends that you hang out with at all? Is there, is there a social group there at all that you're able to go watch games? Well, in New York itself, I know that there probably is, but my biggest connection in the U.S. right now, there's a tremendous amount of Vela support in America. It's kind of crazy, both from like fan base platforms as well to people as well in my own industry. Uh, You know, we talked, obviously, Jonathan Johnson uh, in Paris, but in here in the U.S., there's so many. It's crazy. Uh, My good friend, Kevin Egan. who, who does a lot of presenting as well. He's one of the voices for Atlanta United as well. He's a huge Villa fan. Uh, you know, there's so many voices here. So, I mean, you know, God bless, uh, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but thanks Twitter, because that's the best way to do it really to just, I mean, this is what we're talking right now. And the U.S. has a tremendous amount. New York itself, I don't necessarily like physically 
connect with anybody as much, especially nowadays and stuff. But we definitely have uh, an overall American connection to Villa. And they're everywhere. I mean, Pittsburgh as well. You mentioned Toronto in Canada. Uh, I know that New York, there's one as well. There's one in California as well. And it's just growing and growing. It's great to see. And you kind of get that American, I mean, I, you know, I haven't been to, to any MLS games or, or whatever, but Frankie and I were, were talking earlier on and he was saying the enthusiasm um, is unreal kind of in in the USA. I've been to quite a few matches in South America um, and I'm talking about the American continent now, of course, but that, you know, that enthusiasm and life and complete passion for whatever sport that people are watching is is sometimes something that really kind of bolsters the game. One hundred percent. And uh, you know, listen, in the, in America, football is first of all from a participation perspective is the most popular sport in the country. Like from a participation from kids playing and stuff, it's the number one sport. And MLS is a growing league, and and the fan base and the support for Premier League clubs, Villa, etc., is growing and growing because this is a multicultural, diverse. 12 to 21 year old audience that's just growing and growing and guess what they're watching they're watching football they're watching the premier league they're watching la liga they're watching Serie A. they're watching mls and it's just growing and growing and you see that when you go to some of these games i mean you know atlanta united you know you know in the first few years seventy-five thousand people attended those matches you know we're not wow. talking about a small number here it's incredible you know and, and and that's gonna do nothing but keep growing definitely across the country that's that's quite an amazing number, isn't it? I think I went to see the um, the lionesses at Wembley. I think it was I think it was last year, and it was it was at Wembley first time. Um, it was sold out, and it was such a moment to get that amount of fa- fans in you know in a stadium and really really supporting. Uh, I mean, you know, for me as a woman, supporting women's football, for, you know, that many people for the first time to fill that stadium, and as a growing sport in the USA, like you say, with kids coming up and getting that amount of fans in there's a real kind of excitement there i suspect absolutely and listen you mentioned the women's game i had iniola luco uh, on our podcast talking about aston villa women of course and the growth of of not just uh the women's game in europe but in england and the u.s and stuff and it's we we forget that before the pandemic hit you know uh the super league the women's super league you know that was achieving record numbers i mean part of it obviously was the energy based from the World Cup, but it's it's just a growing trend and it's just so great to see. You're listening to All Villa, No Filler, Villains Abroad. If you're a supporter based outside the UK, then we'd love to hear from you too about how you show your support or why you fell in love with the villa. Send us your stories to allvillanofiller at gmail.com and you can also follow us on the socials on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search All Villa no filler welcome back everybody now it's time for this the perfect 11 it's the perfect 11 this is a feature where we build our best ever aston villa first 11 every show we select a new position so far we've picked mark bosnich in goal and the scottish cafu alan hutton at right back in our latest episode we picked olaf melberg and of course the iconic paul mcgrath in central defense and um, luis what do you make of our selection so far i love it especially the scottish cafu, oh, yes. alan hutton. Yes, one of the thank most thank you one of the most underrated Aston Villa. I know we love him, 
but one of the most underrated Aston Villa players ever. I'm sorry, but ever. The the work, the passion that he did. And of course, we can't forget that incredible goal uh, that he did a few years ago. So I, I love it. I think it's good. You, you're in the right path. And all of Melberg, oh my God. Uh, captain slash model, gotta love him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we mentioned that yesterday. George <laughs> sold him as saying he was a... Yeah, I think he got mentioned... How handsome he was uh, got mentioned quite a lot. Oh, the, the, man, the man was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. He hasn't, he hasn't left us, but like Thor, Thor, the god of thunder, or something. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and if if you had to select um, any other players that stick out to you, you know, any personal favourites, I suppose, would you get have Dwight York up front? Oh, are you kidding? That's a no-brainer. The fact that we didn't begin with that is an absolute insult, guys. Come on now, <laughs> Dwight York is to me the greatest Aston Villa player ever. He is my favorite. There is nothing this Trinidad and Tobago man couldn't do back when he was playing. When he left for Manchester United, I cried for like two weeks. I wouldn't speak for anybody. And for those young Villa fans, go on YouTube, check out what he did. Uh, you know, when he when he wore the claret and blue, it's just an unbelievable. I would tell <laughs> Dwight York needs to be there. I'm do fine. you know, we went on, on holiday once to, to Tobago and we went to the Dwight York Stadium and we got our Villa kits on. Um, and we've got these Dwight York um, Dwight York Stadium um, scarves somewhere, and we got in the the Villa program um, at the Dwight York Stadium, and it was just a, an amazing moment. You know, when you think, "Yes, we've made it. Um, we've well, celebrated." You need Dwight. to send me one of those scarves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually saw him in Birmingham City Centre once when I was younger, and uh, I stood still for about maybe three weeks. Just didn't move out of that position because I was so shocked by what I'd seen. My actual hero walking past, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And listen, I don't know how many more names you have to fill, but the other two, to me, that deserve a lot of mention. One of them is Ashley Young, I think. Uh, you know, we, we forget uh, that, you know, now playing for Inter Milan, obviously a career with Manchester United, but the things that he did for Villa during that time was amazing. And then the other one, of course, I have to go, uh, with I would go with Alberto Solano if he would have gone longer because obviously Peruvian, uh, but Juan Pablo Angel. I mean, come on, he brought the absolute style to Villa yeah, with his beautiful Russian long hair. <laughs> that Colombian did everything for us. I loved it. And he, I think he was a brilliant player, Angel. And I think he's the kind of player that if he'd played at somewhere like Atletico Madrid and had scored loads of goals in La Liga, we'd look at him like on a global scale as like an iconic striker. Yep. But the fact that he played for Villa and we're maybe not quite as fashionable as someone like Atletico Madrid right now. Right. Um, he's slightly overlooked, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. His career was ridiculous. I mean, remember, he came from River Plate, right, where he already was doing so many things and then Villa, and then he left Villa to go to MLS. But my God, what a player. And some of the goals that he scored, uh, just a tremendous, tremendous asset. I remember meeting him. Uh, you know, because we're f- kind of friends now. But the first time I met him, I, instead of shaking his hand, I just went on my knees and started worshipping him like a Wayne's World. <laughs> you know what's funny, though? He didn't stop me. He just let me keep going. <laughs> Fair play. Um, so before we wrap up, Luis, um, how do you think Villa uh, are going to get on this season? Well, I think that we're going to... Listen, I mean, the, the blueprint has already been set to, to see what we can expect. I think that we should expect a top half of the table finish, whether that's 10th or 9th or 8th. I would be very happy. I would love a Europa League spot, which is, I think, something very doable for us, um, especially with the games in hand that we still have. But I think that a top half of the table finish would be... But listen, at the very beginning of the season, before it even started, before we even kicked a ball, 
One of my predictions was Villa will end uh, and get that Europa League spot, and I stand by it. So I think that I think that we're going to get that Europa League spot. And uh, if you had to pick a favourite moment from all your time of supporting Aston Villa, I know it's it's often a tough one to answer those sorts of questions, but if there's one moment, would you, is there anything that sticks out? Well, you know what, you know what's funny, something that really sticks out for me. Well, I mean, there's a few, right? Obviously. Um, I think when Tammy Abraham uh, got us to the playoff final was one of them in recent years. I think that was amazing. Um, but I, I have to go with Benito Carbone's goal, uh, <laughs> you know, way, way back. See, these young fans may not know that. Didn't but, he have fantastic uh, boots? I seem to remember I got some golden football boots and I think it was it was after Carbone had them perhaps. Absolutely. But Benito uh, Carbone to me was, uh, it was a hat trick against Leeds in the mm. FA Cup and one of them was a ridiculous long race track about 35 yards out and it was yeah. incredible that I will never forget that I mean there's so many moments but that one to me always sticks out I don't know why yeah that's one of them games that really sticks out in my memory watching that and that when that goal went in I just remember being in utter disbelief watching it would you like to let our listeners know where they can find you online yeah sure uh so mainly you will hear my ranting on Twitter on uh L-M-E-C-H-E-G-A-R-A-Y, L-M Echegaray, or Instagram, Luis M. Echegaray. But I'm the host of Que Golazo Pod, Que Golazo Pod on CBS Sports. So Twitter, you will always find me saying something uh, about the villa almost every single day uh, if my wife doesn't get too angry. And that's it from us today. Thank you very much for joining us today, Luis. I'm sure we'll speak again very soon. Thank you so much, guys. This was amazing. And goodbye to you too, Roisin. See you later, Frankie, up the villa. Goodbye from me and join us again later this week for another episode of All Villa, No Filler. <laughs>